Hey listeners, Dennis Wisco here. Thank you for tuning in to Wisco Weekly. Welcome to all of you new listeners to the show. In this particular episode, which is part two, I go into some details on how Keynesian economics would look at Assembly Bill 5. And I read some passages from the book, The General Theory of Employment, Interest, and Money. You can find a link of this book on the episode page. If you haven't heard the previous episode where I talk about how classical uh, economics or classical economists would view Assembly Bill 5, I encourage you to listen to that episode as well. Before we get into today's episode... T Listeners, I want to thank my media partners, Automotive Mastermind, Comotion Miami, and Thought Leadership Summits. Thought Leadership Summits is hosting their upcoming virtual event on July 28th, July 30th, and August 2nd. Listeners of the show can get 20% off if you use the discount code WISCO2020. Also, I have four free tickets that I'm giving away in order to qualify for a ticket. Simply send to me a video toasting your favorite beverage to the customer experience. You can send that to me, infotainment at whiskoweeklypod.com. Send it as a DM on any of the social media channels. And the first four people to do it will get a ticket to the Thought Leadership Summit's virtual conference. To learn more about that conference, visit whiskoweeklypod.com slash TLS. Now let's get into today's educational analysis of Keynesian economics. You are now tuned in to the Wisco Weekly Experience. Mabuhay, bienvenidos, vitaita, willkommen, and welcome to Wisco Weekly. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Wisco Weekly podcast where I attempt to follow and analyze and share with you all the new business models for the mobility of people and goods. And you're like, what the hell does that mean, Dennis? Well, that means one of the things that it means is analyzing current policies. One of those policies is Assembly Bill 5. Assembly Bill 5 is currently in effect in the state of California that regulates your app-based companies such as Uber and DoorDash and enforces them to enact greater protections for their independent contractors or for their drivers who are classified as independent contractors. Now, this particular episode is a follow-up. You can say it will proceed or it could precede another episode that I just did, which covers another side of the AB5 argument. What I'm trying to do on both of these episodes is in the first one, it explores what classical economists 
would say about Assembly Bill 5 and also the proposition that will be on the California ballot in November called the California App-Based Drivers Regulations Initiative. That's a very long one. But again, it's called the California App-Based Drivers Regulations Initiative. That will be a proposition on the ballot in November to fight Assembly Bill 5. So in the first episode, I pointed out in one particular book, Economics in One Basic Lesson by Henry Hazlitt, what classical economic, uh, what classical economists would say about Assembly Bill 5 and how they would view it. On this episode, on this episode, I want to now share with you what Keynesian economics would say about Assembly Bill 5. And this is from the book, The General Theory of Employment, Interest, and Money. For those of you who have a half understanding of Keynesian economics, and this actually still might be me, I'm, I'm really digesting Keynesian economics at the moment, so I can't say that I fully understand his perspective, but certainly one of the things that I'm coming to understand about Keynesian economics is this is really an economic theory that is based off of a economic society that is very much in a close to ideal manner. What do I mean by that? I mean that in the case of Keynesian economics, there's an argument that he would make for perfect competition and perfect competition being a good thing amongst businesses and a good thing for consumers. I think how that would juxtapose against Classical economics is classical economists would not subscribe fully to the idea or to the same definition and concept as perfect competition in the way John Maynard Keynes subscribes to it. Classical economists would argue that there are still players that are inherently bad actors in a game that is rigged for their advantage, to which that is kind of why John Maynard Keynes has essentially come up with 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 his thought leadership in his book is because one of the general foundations of Keynesian economics is to flood government with money in order to create employment because in the private sector for entrepreneurs who are seeking profits John Maynard Keynes would argue that while he is for civil liberties, he also would say that to pursue profits also leads people down a very dark and greedy path. And the only way to balance that, to have a check against that system, is government. Now, there's even arguments I could make against that presumption, but that is how Keynesian economics essentially works. You have bad actors in the system. To counter bad actors in the system, you then need government to fight back. You need government. You need to fund government so they can create employment. And hence, when people uh, allude to what Keynesian economics is, oftentimes it's associated with obloviating the size of government. So that is the background or the precursor to what we will get into today. I want to cite a couple passages in the book and explain how that relates to Assembly Bill 5 and also 
the proposed regulation called the or the or the proposition that will hop on the November ballots in California, the California app based drivers regulation initiative. As an FYI, for the California app based drivers regulation initiative, a yes vote supports the ballot initiative to define app based transportation companies and delivery drivers as independent contractors. Essentially, it would roll back the current policy of Assembly Bill 5. There, there, there are policies and benefits that these app-based drivers will now adopt in light of Assembly Bill 5, but essentially a yes vote would repeal Assembly Bill 5 therefore giving power back to app-based transportation companies and the relationship they have with independent contractors. A no vote, a no vote that opposes California app-based drivers regulation initiative, a no vote would continue to keep Assembly Bill 5 in place. That will be on the November ballot in California. Okay, let's get to the general theory of employment interest and money reading from page 188 if in such circumstances we start from a position of full employment entrepreneurs will necessarily make losses if they continue to offer employment on a scale which will utilize the whole of the existing stock of capital hence the stock of capital and the level of employment will have to shrink until the community becomes so impoverished that the aggregate of saving has become zero. The positive saving of some individuals or groups being offset by the negative saving of others. Thus, for a society such as we have supposed, the position of equilibrium under conditions of laissez-faire will be one in which employment is low enough and the standard of life sufficiently miserable to bring savings to zero. Okay, that's a long one there. I'm going to try to break this down a little bit. I think you can easily replace entrepreneurs in this paragraph with app-based companies. Okay, so from the first sentence, if such, if in such circumstances we start from a position of full full employment, Uber will necessarily make losses if they continue to offer employment on a scale which will utilize the whole of the existing stock of capital. Uber has made some significant investments and partnerships in companies like FAIR, in companies like Hirecar. And you can argue that those investments and partnerships may not have been in the best interest of Uber, i.e. I would point to the fact that specifically with FAIR, they terminated their partnership or FAIR terminated one or the two, but essentially the partnership that they had with FAIR is no longer around. All the money and resources that were, that were dedicated to that partnership could have been allocated to drivers and taking care of drivers rather than trying to build out these partnerships. So that is, that's one interpretation of 
that first sentence there of entrepreneurs essentially making losses, taking losses, because when you have full un, when you have full employment, entrepreneurs can take the risk of making all these investments and knowing the fact that only a handful may actually make a positive return to them. As and and, and as we get back to the next sentence. Hence, the stock of capital and the level of employment will have to shrink until the community becomes so impoverished that the aggregate of saving has become zero. The positive saving of some individuals or groups being offset by the negative saving of others. Now, this is actually where I think the one of the big issues is in Assembly Bill 5, where the presumption is being made that with a lot of these independent contractors, that indeed they have not saved money. And it's the other side of the aisle, whoever that other side is, well, I guess in this case, it would be the Uber executives and Uber employees, essentially, that have saved money. So then all of a sudden, when you do get to this position of full employment and well, I, correction, when you start to get into this opposite area of full unemployment, which obviously this is kind of what we're looking at now, that you have to rely on the positive savings of some individuals to offset the negative savings of the other group. And the presumption then is that a lot of independent contractors have not made the necessary investments in their savings account to bring forth this idea of a equilibrium of savings, which according to John Maynard Keynes is a good thing. In this world of John Maynard Keynes, as he brings a very practical approach to his economic theory because he understands that there are going to be people on the one side of the spectrum that have saved a lot, and there's going to be others that have not saved at all. If that can net in a neutral savings um, you know, you know that that savings difference can be zero. That is a good thing for society. He would argue right now, and I would probably argue the same, that not enough people have saved. Therefore, everything is skewed more towards the negative side of uh, an economic society where most of our society is operating in the red. And so this affirms in the last sentence here where he says, thus for a society such as we have supposed, the position of equilibrium under conditions of laissez-faire will be one in which employment is low enough and the standard of life sufficiently miserable to bring savings to zero. I mean, you have to love how he even recognizes that life is not fair. As he says, the standard of life sufficiently miserable, sufficiently miserable, right? Okay, let's move on to another passage in the book. We're going to page 216. And I think this highlights more that there are still humans and individuals that are working on both the public and private sector. It's not just brands. It's not just Uber. And it's not just state governments and local governments. There are actual people behind this. And so let me read the passage here in the book. As real income increases, 
both the pressure of present needs diminishes and the margin over the established standard of life is increased. And as real income diminishes, the opposite is true. Thus, it is natural at any rate on the average of the community that current consumption should be expanded when employment increases, but by less than the full increment of real income. And it should be diminished when employment diminishes, but by less than the full decrement of real income. Moreover, what is true of the average of individuals is likely to also be true of governments, especially in an age when a progressive increase of unemployment will usually force the state to provide relief out of borrowed funds. Okay, I'm sure this was probably confusing to hear, and I'm going to try to make sense out of it here. So let's get to the first sentence. As real income increases, both the pressure of present needs diminishes and the margin over the established standard of life is increased. And as real income diminishes, the opposite is true. As Keynes is explaining here, as real income increases, the need of present of the, the needs of the present diminishes what the the needs would be things like groceries the the needs would be things like health care the needs would be things like taking care of of family right these are those present needs when you have income that is flowing in and you're and you're making a lot of money you tend to overlook those needs aspect because there's just other you know, consumer discretionary goods like trips that you'd rather spend your money on and that you'd rather worry about. And so then as real income diminishes, then you do have the idea that food and grocery stores and hospitals and healthcare, that stuff does matter now. Does this sound anything familiar to you? Reading on. Thus, it is natural at any rate on the average of the community that the current consumption should be expanded when employment increases, but by less than the full increment of real income. So again, as your income goes up, that will naturally drive up consumption. However, Keynes understands that as, your, as, as a society does have full employment and as consumption is going up, the consumption of goods and services is not a one-to-one -one ratio of your real income, meaning that at some point there is not, you could have all the money in the world, but that is not going to equate to an equal level of consumption. At some point you either start to save, at some point you just, you can't spend it anymore, right? I, I can't remember his name as a matter of fact, but there was a gentleman who gave a TEDx talk and he was a billionaire and he he, I remember him making this point that at, at some point when you have a, a whole lot of money, at some point, there's just not enough things to buy, or at least there's just, there's nothing else that you can buy. You know, I mean, at some point you have your boat. What do you need? Two boats? Do you need five boats? Do you have, you have one house? Do you need two houses? Do you need five houses? The whole idea is that at some point your income will go up but the consumption might not be or will not be proportionately related to the increase in your income. 
And the opposite is true, where when you are living in a society, in an economy that is experiencing high unemployment, your wages go down. And when your wages go down, your income goes down and your savings go down. Consumption will not keep pace at the same level with your wages dropping. So all of a sudden, at some point, you may just be buying eggs so you can boil eggs. You know, you might just be buying milk because milk and, and like that is a very terrible diet, by the way. But hell, if that's what you have to do to live, then go for it. Right. But again, the idea that as your incomes go down, as real income goes down, as unemployment increases, the level of consumption is still disproportionately related to your income, your money. And at some point, your money continues to drop, but the consumption does not also drop. You just you very much now just stick to a regimented set of food items that you might be consuming until things look better. And lastly, moreover, what is true of the average of individuals is likely to also be true of governments, especially in an age when a progressive increase of unemployment will usually force the state to provide relief out of borrowed funds. Assembly Bill 5, to play the chess game in all of this, Assembly Bill 5 currently in place has actually, not only is it going to do wonders or not only is it doing wonders for the state of California, it's going to do wonders in the state of California because exactly this, when a progressive increase of unemployment, which we are experiencing here, will usually force the state to provide relief out of borrowed funds. The state cannot provide borrowed funds if it doesn't have the funds or rather the state can provide borrowed funds, but at some point those funds are going to come back to us individuals as taxpayers. Because as one of the things I was looking up was specifically in California, the unemployment insurance fund was roughly about $3 billion, $4 billion. In light of COVID and the mass unemployment rate, that skyrocketed to $8 billion. That is an $8 billion deficit, which is roughly about an $11, $12 billion swing in the budget. And what's the latest report that I read in forecasting next year's budget, which would start on July 1st, the 2020-2021 the budget speculates a unemployment insurance fund upwards of $20 billion. So the state doesn't have that money. Where can they get this money to offset that? Well, you basically implement or you basically continue to carry on with Assembly Bill 5. Therefore, you have Uber paying into the unemployment fund because otherwise Uber would not have been paid into that fund. Okay. I, those are the two passages I wanted to just cover in this particular episode of how Keynesian economics would look at Assembly Bill 5. If you're liking these two topics of Keynesian economics and classical e economics, uh, leave me a message, write a comment on Apple Podcasts, or send me a mes message directly 
on Facebook, on Twitter, or you can send a direct email to infotainment at wiscoweeklypod.com. Happy to continue to do more of these. I probably will still do, still do more of these, but if there's something in specifically you'd want to hear about, send me a message and I'd be happy to do up an episode on that. Thank you for tuning in to Wisco Weekly as we end every episode. Cheers. Prost. L'chaim. Kipis. Nastravi. Salu. Kampai. Mabruk. Tutsins. Gambe. Yamas. Nastarovie. Vo. And salute to the customer experience. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode with us. We love having you along on our journey. I'm your co-host, Kelly Cruz, alongside Dennis Wisco. It has been three years, if you can believe it, and there's been a lot of changes over these last few years. Uh, We also have a lot of great new things coming to you through our various social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Five different social media channels all bringing great content to you, and you can see things such as new inspirational thought leaders that we were meeting out at various conferences like the Women in Automotive, cup holder reviews, uh, new cars that are coming to you. Uh, We are so happy to have you along. So again, please continue to follow us. Let us know if you have any questions and we will be back with you soon.